0: marketing explosive growth and revolutionary secrets that can catapult your business to new heights you're now listening to the underground marketer podcast with your host tudor dumitrescu the one podcast devoted to showing new businesses how to market themselves for high growth Welcome to The Underground Marketer. This is the place where we deliver the real truth about marketing and explore big ideas that can help new businesses thrive and grow into big ones. I'm your host, Tudor, and today the topic that we will be covering are the 12 secrets of building rapport. So whenever we market or whenever we speak with a prospect or a possible customer, there are certain things that we have to do in order to build rapport with that person. And why is building rapport important? So building rapport is important because it gets the other person to open up and give you intelligence and information that you may want them to give you that they wouldn't otherwise, you know? So in terms of web and doing this stuff on the web, so in terms of your copywriting, it could get them to fill out a form that they wouldn't fill out otherwise. If you're on the phone with them, it can get them to give you information that they wouldn't give otherwise. Like, for example, if you ask how much money do you make roundabout, you know, per year. If you don't build rapport before you ask that question, they will not want to give you that information because they don't feel safe with you. You know, when you build rapport with somebody, they feel safe with you and they open up and they're ready to share stuff with you. So the skills that you need in sales and the skills that you need to build rapport are pretty much exactly the same skills that a good therapist needs, you know, to get the patient to open up. And it's not the stuff that you generally see with salespeople, you know, the general image of the hard selling salesman who presses you and whatnot, who's aggressive and so on. The people who are great salesmen, including people like Jordan Belfort, they don't actually act like that. You know, they're very good at building rapport. So I would say that when it comes to sales, building rapport is perhaps the number one skill that you should have. And it's more important than closing. It's more important than anything else, because if you successfully build rapport, then you can get extra information from that person that the other guy couldn't get. And you can then use that information to be more effective in closing that person. So if you don't have the rapport and you fail to build report, then you can't close that person, right? Because you can't access the information that you need to actually close them. So um, that's where this comes in. That's why it's so important and it's so critical. And I mean, if, you are, if you're not selling by voice or by person or in person, And you're selling over the phone. This is equally important. And if you're selling online via the web, it's the same thing. You know, there are different techniques, you know, that you can develop rapport, for example, with your copywriting, and you can use actually some of the same techniques that you can use one-on-one, you know, your copy develop rapport, get them to give you their email, you know, to feel safe giving you their email, knowing that you will not spam them. So these are all super, super important things. So today I'm going to share with you basically 12 secrets when it comes to building rapport. And each one of these is a very effective tool that I can have found that gives you tremendous results. Some of these are going only going to work in person or over the phone. Some of them are also going to work um, in terms of copywriting, you know, with the written word. All of them are effective and certainly all of them are going to give you principles that you can use whatever your needs are, whether you're marketing or you're selling something outright. So number one is active listening. So most people, they say that listening to the other person is important. You know, Dale Carnegie says, be interested in them. So, um, yeah, I agree with that. But active listening is more than that. You know, so when you actively listen. So let me give you an example so you can make an easy distinction. So if I'm on my phone and I'm writing a message and let's say my girlfriend said something to me, tells me about something, whatever, And then let's say that she says, oh, you're not listening to me. And I say, oh, yeah, I am. And you said, and I repeat exactly what she said, you know, word for word, pretty much. That is listening, right? So I know what's being said. I am listening to it, but I'm not really involved with it. I'm not really interested in it. I'm not actively listening to it. You know, I'm doing something else at the same time um, and so on. So active listening is when you make the other person feel that you're focused on them, that you care about them, and that you're present with them. That's basically what it is. And it's, it gets people to open up. It gets people to feel comfortable with you, to let their guard down, to want to build a relationship with you, basically. So in the, in the scenario with my girlfriend, you know, active listening would be putting down my phone and actually listening to what she's saying and so on. So that would be active listening. And how do you actually do this? How do you show someone that you're actively listening to them? So uh, good ways are that after they say something, you tell them that you understand how they feel or you summarize how they've what they've said in a shorter form or you ask them an insightful question about what they said. Basically, you act as if what they're saying is actually important and you care about it. You know, it's not like some rele- irrelevant information that you just asked for the hell of it and you just want to get through with it and actually get to the stuff that matters. So it's not that. So that's secret number one, active listening. So let's move from that to secret number two, which is mirroring. So if you're physically with the other person, mirroring can be mirroring their body language, you know, or mirroring their tonality, or mirroring their gestures, or mirroring some of the words that they use, you know? So, I mean, let's say that there comes a point when they cross their legs, right? You're sitting down and they cross their legs. Mirroring would be, for example, waiting some time, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds or so, and then you cross your legs as well, just like they did. These gestures mirroring what actually happens and we actually have in our brain these things that are called mirror neurons is that we relate on a deeper level with someone. When we mirror someone, we basically communicate to them that I'm like you, you know, and you know from Cialdini's influence principles that being liked is very important when it comes to influence. And I mean, when you mirror someone, you basically transmit to them that, look, I'm actually just like you. I behave like you, I have similar gestures, and I act like you. So um, when this happens, they feel like you understand them. You know, that's, that's the big thing. So when you mirror somebody, you know, and even if it's something that doesn't have to do with the topic that you're discussing about, like a body gesture, you know, they will still feel that you are like them and that you get them. You know, even if the, So the feeling translates. The same thing holds true with um, the next principle, which basically is called secret number three, which is pace and lead. So when you pace and lead someone, you start by uh, mirroring them and you basically mirror them a few times. And after you've mirrored them, that's basically pacing them, being like them. If you want to take them in a different direction... That's when you start leading, you know, so let's say that you you start speaking with a prospect and that prospect is obviously not very happy. He seems sort of depressed and he's sort of in a low mood. You know, you can hear it from his tone of voice. He doesn't really want to talk. He doesn't really feel like talking. If you go into that interaction and you're upbeat, you're powerful, you're enthusiastic as hell and so on, it's not really going to work out, right? The the guy is going to think, what? This guy is crazy, right? What's he doing? So that's why you have to pace and lead. You have to start by going into his world first. Right. If he's more depressed, if he's more down, that's where you start. You know, you you, instead of saying, hi, I have this wonderful offer for you, you can say something like, hi, I would like to discuss with you something that may be of interest. Do you have a moment or something like that? You match. Basically, you mirror where he is and you match where he is. That's the pacing bit. And then after you do that a few times, you can start slowly leading him somewhere else basically instead of mirroring him and mirroring his state you start moving the state up you know so you might go from being very depressed to being sort of neutral you know in your tone or from being neutral to being sort of upbeat and enthusiastic and if you do this effectively you will find out that that state change translates to the other person You know, that's why actually pacing and leading can be so effective. And I mean, you have to assess the emotional state of your prospect immediately. And I mean, for those of you who are working online, pacing and leading can still work because I mean, you do have buyer personas and you sort of know what state based on the ad that they've seen people would be when they come to your landing page. Right. So you don't move from the state that they're in in the ad, you know, let's say that they were very afraid because of whatever the ad said, you don't move suddenly to a state where they're being ecstatic in the landing page. Right. That would be a mistake. You have to pace them. You have to start the landing page similar to the ad. Right. And then by the end of it, you move them to the state where they're ecstatic. They have a solution through your product and whatever. So um, I want you to know that this doesn't work just verbally or physically. It also works through writing. You have to be a bit creative with it, but you can definitely do it. And it's very powerful. And the fourth secret that I wanted to share is basically asking meaningful questions that allow you to control the conversation. So the, the person who is asking the questions is basically the person who guides the conversation. You know, we have the wrong impression that the person who talks the most is the one who is controlling the conversation. But that's not how it goes. You know, the guy who is asking you, who is directing the flow of the conversation, because by asking, you are directing the flow of the conversation and you change what the other person focuses on. That's the guy who is in control. You know, so if I ask you, What do you stand to lose if you say no to this deal? Or what's going to happen if you don't buy this today? You're obviously going to start focusing on those things, right? So you're going to ask yourself, oh, what's actually going to happen, right? So that's where asking meaningful questions is very important for a poor. Asking meaningful questions means that you ask questions that the other party is comfortable answering and that the other party finds useful to answer, right? So if you just met someone, you can't ask them, it wouldn't be a meaningful question. I mean, if you ask them, how much money are you making straight off the bat like that? Because people wouldn't, they don't feel comfortable enough to give you that kind of information yet. So you have to start with more meaningful questions like what sort of job do you do or what's holding you back at work or whatever question is more meaningful to them and they would be happy to answer. It takes a bit of practice, you know, to find out what questions are actually meaningful, but it's definitely very, very useful. So we talked about pace and lead already. We also have another technique, which is basically secret number five, which we call future pacing. And with this technique, you tend to use it towards the later stages of your sales interaction. And basically what you do is, You help the person see the consequences of him making the purchase, obviously the good consequences. You future pace it, which means that you get them to imagine the consequences, you know, so um, you could future pace the the purchase, let's say, of a new Ferrari, right? You're the Ferrari salesman. So you can ask them, you know, you ask them, so um, how would you feel, you know, taking your wife for a ride in this baby? And they already their mind, you know, it's going to go into the future and they already see themselves owning the Ferrari with their wife in the car. And he might be like, oh, man, my wife is totally going to love it. And that's how you use it. So he, he gets to see that you care about him. That's what future pacing helps with. And it also helps him to basically build trust with you. He, he gets that you care about him and that you want to help him and you want him to get to that future position. So the same thing is obviously true when you do copywriting and you can use this both negatively and positively. So you can future pace what's going to happen if they don't take action, right? So let's say that you have somebody who is like on the sidelines, you know, he's not sure if he wants to take action. So you future pace the negatives, you know, you're not gonna take action, you're not gonna buy this product now, what's going to happen in the future you know, in one month, you know, or in two months or in whatever time frame? And you, you help them see it. And this can be very, very useful in copywriting, but it's equally useful when it comes to in-person. And in fact, it's a bit more powerful in-person. So that's number five. Let's move on to number six, which is find common ground. So um, we already told and we already mentioned a bit about likability, right? So one thing that makes people like you is if they see that you're like them. So when you find common ground with someone, it lets them know that you're like them and they can trust you. They, they feel like they know you already, like they want to be around you and so on. They're more likely to start revealing information that they wouldn't give otherwise. So how do you find common ground? You know, you notice stuff about the other person. So if you're in person, you can notice stuff. Do they have, let's say, football on their desk? Do they have a tennis racket in their office? You know, whatever it is. And if that's a common ground for you, then you can definitely bring it up. You know, you can say, oh, I didn't know that you play tennis. You know, um, it's my favorite sport. Where do you play? Would you like to play maybe sometime? Whatever it is. So finding common ground can be very powerful. And I mean, if you don't find common ground that way, I mean, or if you're online or you're all over the phone with them, By asking them questions, you know, about themselves, their work and so on, you can find common ground. You know, maybe you find that, for example, they went in the military and you also did some service in the military. So there you go. That's common ground. You can tell them, oh, I was also a um, soldier or whatever. And that's going to show them that you're like them. And obviously in writing, when you're doing copywriting, you find common ground through research. You know, you identify the kind of language that people use, you start using the same um, sort of language in your landing page and in your ad, and that's how you show people that you get them. All right, so let's move on. So secret number seven, which is basically to implement humor. This is not so effective in writing because humor is more difficult to get across, but it's very effective in person. You know, so if you can crack a joke, if you can do something goofy that still makes you look professional and so on, that can be very effective. And the reason it's effective is because it changes people's state, you know, so let's say that they're at work and they're bored, they're not in a happy state, they're not really in a state where they're open to buy stuff, right? So if you crack a good joke and they start laughing and they start interacting with you, they sort of let their guard down their state suddenly changes. So that's actually the function of entertainment. So if you think about great entertainers, they help people change their state. You know, so they were in a depressed mood uh, before they went to that concert and then they were very happy. So that's what great entertainment does. And that's what humor can actually help you do in your own interactions. Obviously, be careful with the kind of humor you use. So, I mean, don't use uh, dark humor or any kind of humor that's on the sidelines or some people will not get unless, of course, you know that that person understands that type of humor. You know, I mean, you can run yourself in a lot of difficulties that way. I mean, let's say that you crack a political joke, for example, and you crack a political joke about Donald Trump and your prospect likes Donald Trump. That's not going to land very well with them, you know? So, I mean, use the information that you already have about the prospect when it comes to making jokes and make appropriate jokes. And if you don't have much information, perhaps you should resort to this technique at a later stage. All right, so now secret number eight is basically empathy. So when it comes to empathy, what is most important is that you show the prospect that you care about them you know that you're not just talking with them to make a sale for example because if they think that you're just talking with them and you're sitting with them in their office or you're calling them just to make a sale they're not going to be very happy about that they're going to feel used and they're not going to feel ready to actually buy from you so in order to reverse that And to build rapport with them, you have to show that you care about them. You know, if they say something that something is important to them, don't just brush over it and move on to your sales presentation or whatever, you know, actually take it into account. And the way you show empathy on the web in terms of copy is through research. You know, you research what these people care about on average and you implement it in your copy. That's how you show empathy. That's how you show that you care about the things that they care about. And it's it's super important to get them to open up. You know, I mean, are you think about yourself? Are you more likely to submit a form if you know that the if the copy on the page lets you know that the person gets you and understands you? Of course you are. I mean, that's that's how buying and selling works. So empathy is really important. Technique number 9 is basically called labeling. And this can also be part of active listening. And what's basically involved here is that somebody tells you something, right? So let's say that they say, I think that so-and-so company isn't doing very well. Labeling that may may sound something like, so you think it's possible for so-and-so to go bankrupt, for example. Or they tell you that... I feel sort of angry with my colleague. He didn't really get back to me and I don't know what to do. So when they say that you can tell them something like, it sounds like you're feeling frustrated. So you're labeling what they're feeling, the emotion that they're feeling, or you're labeling what they're thinking you know, but maybe are not saying. And that can get them to open up and say more about that. You know, if you, the company example, they, they may have been afraid to say that they think that you'll go bankrupt. So they might be, when you say like that, they might be like, oh yeah, I do think that they will go bankrupt. Or yeah, I am actually frustrated with him because blah, blah, blah. And they will go on. So they will give you more information. That's where labeling really comes in. Secret number 10 is basically eye contact. So eye contact obviously doesn't apply online, but in person, it's very important that you establish a solid eye contact, but you don't have like a piercing gaze. You know, you don't stare at them, you don't make them feel uncomfortable or any of that stuff, right? So, I mean, you have to tone it down. It has to be a relaxed gaze but it has to be a gaze that tells them that you're interested in them, you care about them, and you want what's best for them. You know, that's what you're trying to communicate. So it's very important that you look in their eyes, right? So when you're talking with them, don't look at the floor, don't look to the left or right, look at them, you know, make them feel cared. But at the same time, don't stare, you know, so try to strike that balance. Secret number 11, which is very, very powerful, is basically tonality and you want to use your tonality as a salesperson to convey certain attitudes. The most important attitudes are certainty, confidence, and empathy, right? These are the the attitudes that you want to convey through your tonality. So um, how do you convey certainty and why is that important to convey through your tonality? Well, the reason why it's important is because it positions you as an authority. Right? So if I speak to you with certainty and I'm convinced about what I say, it's very likely that you will also be convinced. So, I mean, you saw that difference, right? So if you change your tone, you can change the meaning of what you're saying. So it's not so much what you're saying to people, but it's how you're saying it. You know, if you say it in a way that conveys that you don't know what you're talking about. So for example... If you go like, oh, yeah, I'm not very mm, sure, then obviously that doesn't seem like an expert. You know, if they ask you a question, that's how you answer. They will think that you're a bum, right? And they're not going to like you. They're not going to feel safe buying from you. So tonality can be very effective in building rapport because it positions you as an authority if you can speak with certainty. So You have to practice, I mean, you have to find the tone that you naturally use when you feel confident and certain about something, you know, and that's the tone that you want to use. And it tends to be different for most people, but when you hear it, you know it. And this decisiveness that you can find in somebody's tone is very, very powerful. So the the guy that I learned this from is actually Jordan Belfort. And I think that Jordan Belfort is pretty much the best in the world, when it comes to tonality, especially when it comes to the tonality that conveys certainty. I have honestly not seen or heard someone who speaks like he does in terms of tonality and who uses it so effectively. At the same time, your tonality should not be aggressive. I mean, yeah, you should be confident and you should know what you're talking about, but you don't want to come across as... Aggressive and come across as if you don't care about the other person. No, you want to come across with empathy, like you care about them and you're the expert who has the solution that they need. And I mean, this is very effective. And I mean, if you want to learn more about tonality, Jordan Belfort's Trade Line Persuasion course is great as is his book, The Way of the Wolf. And I mean, you can get the audio book because that's going to obviously help a bit more with the tonality. But the best is definitely the course, Straight Line Persuasion. So I can highly, highly recommend that. Yeah, and basically secret number 12, so we're almost getting to the end of this, is your state. And I mean, your emotional state. So obviously, if you approach... We talked about, so keep this in the context of um, pace and lead, right? So we talked about entering their state initially and so on, right? But the fact is that your state is very important. So, I mean, you don't want to go into a sales call or interact with your prospect if you're in a very low state, right? You're low energy, you feel tired, you feel depressed, you're unhappy, whatever, because that's going to translate over to them. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to open up. They're not going to feel confident about you. So getting into the right state before is very important. And powerful ways to do this are big physical movements, you know. So if you position your body in um, such a way that you usually position it when you feel certain, you know, that might be your chest out, your head up, whatever, then you may actually trigger that state in you. You can also imagine a moment when you're certain or when you're feeling confident and go back to that state. You can use an anchor, sort of the way they do it in NLP, where you anchor the state of certainty maybe to a certain motion, a certain set of words that trigger it, a certain gesture. Like you saw, for example, in tennis, how Rafael Nadal, he has his gestures before he serves, right? So that's an anchor that sort of awakens the serving state and he can go into it and do it perfectly. Or, I mean, you can also anchor it to stuff like a smell, you know, maybe you have a certain perfume or something that awakens it. But whatever it is, it's important that you have it there and you have a way to trigger this positive, uh, upbeat state, enthusiastic state on demand when you need it. And this is definitely going to come in very, very useful. Uh, in terms of your sales activity for you. So that's about it. Those are the 12 secrets of building rapport. And remember that building rapport, in my opinion, is the key to sales. I mean, if you're effective at building rapport, you can get the information that you need. And if you get the information that you need, closing them is just it almost happens by itself. You know, and uh, I mean, if you learn all these secrets, you're going to be a lot more effective as a salesperson. And I mean, you can apply these, many of them in writing as well. So if you're a copywriter, very useful to you. If you're an entrepreneur, supremely useful to you. I mean, sales as an entrepreneur comes in when you talk to your employees, to customers, to investors, pretty much to everyone. So mastering these are going to be key. And of course, even to your personal relationships. I mean, if you learn these things, you can start using them in your personal relationships and it's going to make a big, big difference. So, I mean, to summarize, the 12 secrets are active listening, which basically means that you show the other person that you're present with them and you're listening to them, you understand them. That's number one. Number two, mirroring, where you mirror the a few words that they use or gestures that they do or ways of behaving. Uh, basically shows them you like them. Pacing and leading, you start by mirroring them, enter into a similar state to them, and then you lead them to a different state. You change after you mirror them a few times, you make a change and they will follow suit. Number four, ask meaningful questions. So that means questions that they are comfortable answering based on the level of rapport you've built with them. Followed by the next technique, which is future pacing, which basically gets them to imagine the future state with your product. Or if you're doing it in writing, gets them to imagine the consequences of not taking action, not buying your product, or of actually buying it and going through with it. Next one, we have, I believe, number six, which is find common ground. You have to look for things you have in common, look around their office, use the conversation for stimulus, show that you're like them if you can. Number seven is to use humor. We already said why this is very effective. It helps to change their state instantly. But you must be careful to choose the right kind of humor for the person. And if you don't know much about it, it might be better to just test the grounds a bit or just avoid humor until you find out more. Number eight was basically empathy, showing them that you care about them. Number nine was labeling. Helping them understand the feelings that they have, what they want to say, but are not saying and so on. Labeling also gets them to talk more about those things. Uh, Number 10 is eye contact. So remember, you have to look at them, but don't stare at them. Number 11, tonality. How you speak with them conveys certainty and convey that you care about them through your tone. And number 12, your state, your emotional state, you know, so try to go into a peak state where you're confident, you're ready to go, you believe in yourself, you believe in the product, and you believe that it can help them. And I mean, if you follow these 12 secrets of building rapport, I think that you can see your sales numbers improve dramatically, but you need to be consistent about them. Write the 12 secrets down, you know, I mean, you can get them off our website in the show notes get the 12 secrets and start using them. You know, make sure that you use them, practice it and you're going to see yourself becoming more effective. So that's pretty much it for today. Thank you for listening once again and stay tuned for the next episode. And until next time, Keep growing your business and providing massive value to the world. Remember, you are the reason why we're all growing richer, our freedoms are expanding, and we're all living in greater prosperity. Thank you, and till next time.